Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! edition of Ace Comicals, which halts for no man or virus, largely because we don't need to be in the same room to talk comics, and also because we want to give you guys something positive, a cosmic ray of light in these tough times. Uh, We love comics, and if you're listening, then you also love comics. And uh, today I'm joined by both of my co-hosts, Ray. Hey, guys. And Leon. Good evening. So, um... I guess we better kind of address the elephant in the room, which is the fact that um, there is a global pandemic currently besieging nations across the world. And um, we are all kind of under siege in our own homes at the moment a little bit, really, aren't we? Under mm-hmm. lockdown. Yeah. But um, never mind, because there's still plenty of comics to read. <laughs> and we live in a good time for this to happen. Good time. Oh, yeah. Need to check what I say. We we live in a time where it's at least when we're stuck in our homes, it's easy to get access to the things that we love, such as comics. Yes. I've been yes. yeah, I've been reading stuff online and we'll be talking about some comics which, you know, um been specifically distributed and uh on the internet for the or like online as PDS for the first time and how all these different companies are coming together and like doing good work in light of this tragedy. Yeah, I mean this as expected, I mean like we know that like I'm constantly cheering for people to support their LCS and, you know, I constantly bang on about the importance of the local comic shop and how it is like the center of a community of sorts. Right. Mm-hmm. It's where we go. It's we, we have, you know, it's like how it, you you get regulars in a bar where you get regulars at a comic shop as well. <laughs> and that's how it works. Right. Yeah. But um, you go there, you have, you have your conversation about the latest comics and things like that. You get your, your sort of like your smatterings of comic news. You get to discuss comic news with like-minded people. Um, you get recommendations from the staff. It's just, it's just a cool place to be sometimes. Right. And I think that's part, that is the part of, the business is probably going to get hit hardest by this whole global pandemic thing because they've had to shutter themselves. Um, At least in the UK, I know that a lot that all of the comic shops have had to close their doors because all non-essential retail at this point has been told to close their doors down um, to help with the lockdown and help with like preventing the spread of the virus, Mm. Um, which although it's the right thing to do is going to put a massive dent, in that business and um it's something that's going to be uh difficult for a lot of shops to recover from uh, especially the smaller businesses um i know that a, a few a lot of comic shops i mean i've seen this mainly in u.s comic shops and things like broadly on twitter and facebook i've seen various uh various posts and ads about how they're doing curbside pickups and um you can still get mail order stuff because they're still yeah. open for mail order and curbside pickup, which is pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, obviously you can still support your LCS if you live in an area where that is possible and there is an LCS in your area that is operating one of these two services, you can still safely support your LCS and buy comics, 
which I think is pretty nice. And it's pretty cool how some of these businesses have actually adapted to what's going on right now. And that it's, it's kind of like, it's, um, I mean, it's defiance, isn't it? In a way it's like, we will not be snuffed out by this, you know, this virus or whatever, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. Well, um, like working I mean, within new constraints as well. Yeah. Like finding yeah, because, new ways to operate. Yeah. We've all got to do our part and we've all got to stay inside to prevent the spread of the virus and things like that. But, and, and, you know, I'm, I want to do my part and I want to stay inside and everything else, but it's cool that these comic shops are still offering those services for people that are stuck inside that love comics, <laughs> I guess is the way I want to put it. Mm. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, like, the way the business is operating as well, because I know that Diamond are no longer distributing new comics, which appears to be the word on the street or the internet street. Um, and in the UK, Diamond definitely won't be distributing. I don't know what's, I don't think that's happening in the US either. Uh, so there won't be any new comics in print, but I think you might still be able to get some digitally. Um, I know that there are certain publishers that have decided not to, I mean, Dark Horse being one of them and Boom Studios, what they're doing is they are, they're not, um, they're not doing digital until they're back to doing print. So to kind of help the comic shops so that they don't kind of like, so, cause people would buy it digital, wouldn't they? While they're stuck in their home and they might not necessarily go and buy the print version. So when w- with new comics, they're not going to release anything in digital um, until they've uh, released it in uh, until they've been able to release it again in print and distribute it in print, which I think is pretty cool. Um, something that I've picked up that TKO are doing. I mean, this is all stuff that I've been following from um, like various articles on the Internet, mainly Bleeding Cool. Uh, I mean, say what you will about Bleeding Cool, but at the minute they're on the pulse. So <laughs> this is where I've been getting my news. But um, TKO have decided that um, if a um, you can choose a store when you buy something and check out at the on their website, and they'll give fifty percent of the purchase price to that store which I think is a pretty cool thing. It's like a little donation to try and keep the place afloat. I mean, I don't know what that means, whether whether any UK stores are listed there, but if you live in the US, then that's a great thing, you know? I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on any of this? I, I haven't really been keeping up with the news on this, but it's interesting that you say um, that some of these publishers are not are not releasing their digital products because it may impact the physical sales. Like as, has that actually been said? Is that what they're using to, to justify that decision? Um, I gather that's the reason because there'd be nothing stopping them from producing, from, from releasing these, these comics digitally. Cause like, it sounds altruistic on the face of it. And I'm like, I I don't, I haven't read too much into it, so I don't deny their intentions and stuff, but like, what does that mean for, the sale, this you know, just general sales overall. How are these artists and writers and you know, uh, just all these creators? How are they getting paid in the interim when their their products aren't being sold? Like, I'm not expecting you to have the answer, but it's just yeah, I don't know. It's I, interesting. 
I see. I see your train. I yeah. I see your train of thought there, and um, I kind I'm kind of inclined to agree with you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Leon, do you have any thoughts to add to that about what's going on right now with the industry? Uh, not much more than what you guys have said. From from what I've seen, it seems like um, like such a tricky position that um, that in a way, and I mean, we're seeing this a lot amongst various different industries. But it's one of these things that sort of exposes the tenuous nature and um, of like various industries and how their supply chains work and. Um, how their different models might not be adaptable for the future. So um, it it is, I think it's something that's been brought out because of uh, this and the spread of uh, COVID-19, but it it is weird because there's no super easy answers, I think. I think what would have been better is if in the preceding years of this, we'd um, had more, like redundancies uh, in that in the in the industry and the way distribution works, mm. so that physical is protected, but also that um, there there are mechanisms for be- better things such as delivery and that digital sort of remain yeah. constant. So it, it is is a tricky one, and I, I've uh, it's a thing that I worry about what what the industry will look like in six months time if and if this will like kill off physical to some degree so uh it's mm. it's very tenuous and uh yeah my, my heart is out for goes out to all the people who at various levels of this uh yeah. are, are being affected same mm. i mean i comics is is life right well it is for me anyway so <laughs> <laughs> you know and i yeah my best best of luck to all these people and my and like leon said my heart goes out to them and i i just hope well i hope and i have i have hope and i have a strong belief that comics can survive this you know and i, I think it will I think it'll adapt um i think part of the problem you're talking about there leon with the distribution and everything is that diamond comic distributors have had the monopoly for however long yeah, exactly. And mm. they just treat retail. They've had like some, the way it's very, it seems to be very one-sided. Like when I, when I get into conversations with retailers about diamond comics, they never have anything nice to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like diamond stiffed us on this or diamond shorted us this many copies. And, and they're just, you know, and they, they kind of get away with it and and get away because because nobody can hold them to it or take them to task because they are the only ones there they're like the big the big distributor and you can't you've got nothing you've got nothing you can do to because because if you stop using diamond that's like however much of your stock gone because you can't get it through anyone else you know it's like how do you how do you take them to task for being a rubbish distributor <laughs> when on the times when they are a rubbish distributor, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Here's hoping comic. Well, here's, here's comics will survive this. <laughs> There's no here's hoping about it. I, I am adamant comics will survive this, but yeah. Um... You'll keep the industry afloat on your own, wouldn't you? 
I would if I could. <laughs> Man, if I had the money, I'd do it. If I was like Jeff Bezos, I'd be like pumping money into the comics industry. I'd be like <laughs> giving grants to comic shops and shit. So, yeah. But there we go. So, I mean, like in this, uh, in these unprecedented times, the media like to use that, don't they? Unprecedented. In these unprecedented times, um, I guess, uh, we'll, I mean, like a lot of comics are going to be available digitally still. Everything that we're going to talk about here is available digitally. And um, when the shops reopen, it will be available in print as well. Um, so I guess we should kick off with um the first on the list uh which would be the king of nowhere um and this is so the book's called king of nowhere and this is published by boom studios and this is something that i have been fairly excited about because it is written by w maxwell prince who is the guy responsible for ice cream man so that's where the hype for this came from and it's just pure delirium this book is just pure delirium like i love it and like what is the connection between delirium and fish have you guys ever noticed that like whenever somebody wants to represent delirium, they use fish as a motif. Maybe it's cause like our like inner outer space is the is the great deep, the the, the big blue, and uh, what lies beneath uh, the seas are scarier than anything that the heavens could uh, present us. And uh, so maybe it's like um, a eternal thing that has probably been linked to us since uh, we crawled out of the soup. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, because like you, you notice that um, delirium herself in the Sandman books, she has um, a thing for fish. I think there's like several panels where she has like fish circling in the air just because she can, kind of thing. Like she's just watching them. Um, I may be wrong, <laughs> but this is just like in my mind's eye. It's been a long time since I read Sandman, but in a, in my mind's eye, that's what I see when I think of Delirium. I, no, that I rings a bell. Yeah, like, I, I distinctly remember yeah. like fish and seahorses and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, this book, uh, the front cover itself has a fish balloon. <laughs> it's a goldfish on a string, um, and he's he's paddling in the road because the road is actually made of water and it, it kind of just, um, it has this, like the, the main character is, uh, he's a very ordinary man. Um, and the cover itself just has this dreamlike quality anyway, with this like rainbow kind of like, um, colors bleeding into each other, this tie dye sky effect. And, um, with the desert behind and the bench in the middle of the road and the road actually being water. I think the whole thing is just like, um, an exercise in surrealism. And that's what I'm going to get to with the rest of the book. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read you the blurb from the boom website. So lovable drunken low life. Dennis awakens on the outskirts of a mysterious village called nowhere home to a friendly populace of deformed, mutated, just left of normal citizens. And he has no memory of where or who he is. 
But when Dennis starts to regain his memories, his past catches up to him, literally. What at first seems like merely a bad trip quickly heightens into a drama of mistaken identity, small-town conspiracy, and high-stakes fantasy fulfillment. So, I mean, like, from the get-go, this whole book is just like bleeding, running watercolors and black lines. It's this whole liquid quality, this surrealness kind of like is dripping from every page. And I just, I got, I just got really into it from there. It had like this kind of like, um, like what is that? What would you call that genre of music where it's like country, but it's country infused with, um, like the weirdness of funk or like got an example out there. Um, Oh, what can I give you for an example? <laughs> I'm just trying to Beck. picture it in my head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With his like his washboard thing going on and everything. And, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, maybe cage the elephant from the, uh, Borderlands soundtrack. Um, you could have Pussifer. I think Pussifer are kind of that way inclined. Um, but it's that kind of like it's like country music, but it's not country music. It's got like this kind of like um, avant-garde edge to it, where it's a bit funk and a bit weird. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting from it. I don't know. I don't know how better to describe it because I don't know if that particular genre of music has a name or not. Because this is what I couldn't find before we were recording so but yeah i mean if it does then get in touch because i'd like to know what it's called uh and it's just like just the dreamlike quality of the book is just absolutely perfect for the story like the story of this this kind of like um small town drama in a dreamlike theater that folds in on itself and kind of revels in its own surrealness and like with all the character designs as well like um this guy who's like a talking salmon and this dude with like many arms and things. And the way it plays out is like a dream as well, because it has like this kind of like um, this dreamlike narrative where things just, just get weirder and weirder. And the, the main character is like fully convinced that he is living inside a bad trip or something yeah, like that. It also has the thing where you don't remember how you got to a place. You're just there. And th- yeah. that's very much how this begins. Yeah, so I guess this is like a comic about a dream. Um, or it feels like a comic about a dream. And I think that's what I love about it. I love that it's it's grounded and at the same time completely surreal. And I'm looking forward to a lot more of it. And I think it's going to be in the tradition of books like maybe Sandman or um, is it Fables? With the, uh, yeah. um, the fairy tales living yeah, in the real yeah. world. Yeah, that that kind of stuff. Anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, it has it has a bunch of that about it. Like these kind of like nymph like looking creatures with like animal horns and stuff. And because they're and more they're than anthropomorphic. Yeah. Well, they, they're all just like just doing their thing as well. Like they're all yeah. like sort of integrated in uh, in a sort of. Yeah, the, the Fables comparison is really good actually because um, in, in that the premise is. Uh, in an area in, it's not upstate New York, it's it's uh, uptown uh, New York City, there's like an enclave where all these uh, like fantasy 
like famous uh, fantasy um, and like fairy tale characters live in this like community. And for the use of glamours and other types of magic, like no one around them knows that their next door neighbors are like Snow White and like uh, the big bad wolf. Mm. And uh, it, it does have, uh, and they're policed because if they were to expose themselves, then it, it breaks the thing and they get sent to a particular place. And uh, it does have that thing of like uh, uh, hidden in plain sight where like, yeah. oh, there's this fantasy world and you're just not, you're not looking for it. So you can't see it. It's like, how do you get to nowhere? <laughs> and he, it seemed like he had a bender or something. Yeah. But, you have to like go on a bender. You can't come back from, I guess. And maybe that's what happened to him. I don't know. But like, it's got that kind of like, um, yeah, it's got that kind of that kind of fables quality about it with these like, because uh, I, I mean, you said anthropomorphic animals, but I don't think they're even really. You can't really call them anthropomorphic animals because they're more anthro than animal. So like, they're kind of like humans with like slight animal tinge, and some of them aren't even animals. Some of them are just like like the dude with like six arms upside down head yeah it's just yeah it's that kind of like weird stuff that happens in your head when you're asleep like weird REM sleep stuff but it it just has that that total um that surrealness that I love and with these like the watercolors as well the watercolors is is what makes it even more dream it's like the art kind of like feeds this dreamlike narrative because it's all watercolors and thick black lines so it's all kind of like um how would you put it hyper um hyper focused but not at the same time it's like when you have a dream and things are more colorful in your dream than they actually are hmm. or yeah that kind of thing um i don't know how better to describe it yeah, I think both uh, Tyler Jenkins, the artist, and Hilary Jenkins, who's the color artist, I think uh, they do what you're talking about. They they're able to sort of create this uh, like watercolored world where things sort of uh, merge together, um, and like the like like the boundary of reality has kind of been broken. It's kind of happening with the art where you see like with the mm. panel design. It's not like perfect mathematical, um, like straight lines. It's it's all sort of uh, more yeah. sketchy uh, panels where it feels like the panels could split at any point, uh, mm. where it's like fantasy blending with reality. And some of them are broken, where it's like panels inside panels with no borders and things like that. Mm. And it just, yeah, it, it's um, it's really it it's definitely very cool and i want to know like where this is going and what happens next because i am like completely on with this like this dude with the nail gun at the end and like mm. you know i i want to know like where all this is headed and i am invested so and it's, it's one of five it's... isn't it so not it's not it's yeah. not gonna run on forever which is what no. which is what i like uh i'll just add that i think that um there's a lot of character breadcrumbs with, with this dennis character uh, and like knowing he has like a personality quirk slash flaw, which uh, as he talks about gets him into trouble, 
and that sort of uh, kind of in, an inciting incident, which gets him deeper into this into the story yeah. when he meets the yeah. sheriff. But um, he defines it as an engine, and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, mm. It's like something that once started, like just leads to like negative outcomes. You know, you just can't. Once yeah. once it's it's running, it's just pulling you forward, and I I, I did like how that was um, captured not not just in the words but um, also in the artwork. Yeah, that is uh, yeah, and it's um, W Maxwell Prince like being W Maxwell Prince. He's like weaving that ice cream and magic, but in a slightly different way. Um, so yeah, that is uh, the King of Nowhere. Published by Boom Studios, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Taylor Tyler Jenkins, colours by Hillary Jenkins, and letters by And World Design, and that is um, available now digitally. Uh, I purchased it on Comicsology, but um, I, yeah, uh, so go check that one out. Um, next on the list, we have something by Image Comics, which is. Um, decorum number one now this stood out for me because it is like 100 hickman <laughs> you can't get anything more hickman than this it's just like so i mean leon you read this as well right and like how much of this did you read and you were like oh my god this is the x-men comics <laughs> with all the infographics and stuff yeah i did i did get that i'll get into like my feelings exactly with that uh later yeah. on after you, after you've like said your piece yeah. but uh i it definitely felt like having read it so soon after uh like uh powers mm. of x uh it, it definitely felt like oh like these are all the things that i wanted to do in the x-men comic but uh marvel wouldn't let me <laughs> peak peak hickman <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, um, the blurb goes as follows. This is from the Image website. So, there are many assassins in the known universe. This is the story of the most well-mannered one. Manners are a sensitive awareness of the feelings of others. If you have that awareness, you have good manners, no matter what knife you use. Um, And this book is, um, for want of a better word, batshit. Um, (laughs) It's like... So... It goes from far-flung galactic fantasy with saga vibes, like mad saga vibes. I've got mad in brackets written in my notes next to saga vibes, (laughs) to um, like science science fantasy, sci-fi. It goes from sci-fi fantasy to sci-fi noir in like the flip of a switch with like, with a bit of like via cyberpunk. And um, it has commentary on colonialism. As we've already mentioned, it's Hickman at peak Hickman levels. Uh, It's something completely detached and original. Um, Like one of the things that I noticed was how much world building is crammed into such a relatively short space, which I feel is quite the feat. Like the amount of information he manages to cram in. But then again, when he... Because he has these like complicated concepts and stories, and then that's why he has the infographics because he has to explain them. So <laughs> you start reading it, and then someone will say something in one panel, and you'll be like, "Wait, what?" This is like the typical layout of uh, of these books. Like this is what I've noticed in the X Men books as well. Like the typical layout tends to be, you'll be reading it, and then someone will say a word, 
and you'll be like, what the hell's that? And then you turn the page and then there's like this big infographic explaining exactly what that word is. Um, yeah, it's just, it turns on a hairpin when it goes from, it just goes from like mood to mood and just completely flips on a hairpin. Um, the art is, I feel absolutely gorgeous. Uh, breathtaking black and white with flashes of color um and it just has like it's absolutely beautiful flow to it and like representation of movement in some of like the the fight scenes in the action scenes and there's flashes of fully painted and realized worlds and there's like beautiful location design that looks like concept art from a video game um and i just love the design of the book in, in, in general with the infographics, it's like being somewhere else entirely. I mean, like Leon, what did you get from this? Yeah, I got, I got a lot of the same things. Like, I, the, it, like it, it's complicated. <laughs> so like um, overall, I think that the, um, the art change-ups in the book are really cool. Uh, I like yeah. how, uh at the beginning you sort of have these nice like uh i don't know the like so at the beginning you have that opening attack on the world and it's rendered like a series of paintings and it looks Ooh. really like lush uh, and uh just uh puts like a it's they're being attacked from the shore by, uh, by like a robot and um Conquistabot nine thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it all is so it's rendered like so richly. It looks great. And then for like the quick action beats, they're like line art, um, like black and white line art. Um, and I, I think that works like uh, so well. Uh, and it's it's a, a definite evocative thing to to pull you in. And then when we go to a sort of different place uh, uh, later in the book. The art is different, and this is a, uh, a more sci-fi place, a more uh, uh, space technology place, and the art style shifts. And whereas they could read disjointed, I, I enjoy how how well they um, render different worlds and different levels of technology, so that um, you just have this shift um, mm. that doesn't need um, like much explaining because. Um, you're you're just there. You don't need to be told this place or blah blah. You just you're there, and you can tell. Yeah, it looks different from from the last place, and that's probably because <laughs> there's so much explaining of other things in the book. Yeah, and like and he's on about he's on about the singularity again, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like colonialism and singularity that are like the two things. But like, um, yeah, I, I I found the law dumps to be cool. Yeah, and I I. I do kind of love the design of that stuff. Like they looked, they look really uh, like well done. And I do like how they like feed you all that information, but there's something about them not being at the end and them happening mid comic that can't help, but break the flow of the comic for me at times. I know they generally happen at chapter ends or uh, like uh, scene changes, but then it, it, you're in a mode where you're reading panel to panel following words and action um, and then you're you're hit with like yeah. like prose for, uh, or like diagrams, and it's it's cool. I lo- I do like how rich the world building is, but part of me feels like 
I would rather that stuff be extra. Uh, so like it, it, it's there at the end of the book, but it's not necessary. Because I think the problem with, with the like lore dumps like that is that I am not going to remember the diagrams of how the system is set up and uh, which parts of the systems are controlled by the, the AI and which parts are uh, like border systems, stuff like that. I'm just not going to remember that. And it's cool in the moment, but I feel like it would be, I don't know, like... Like for me, I think I'd get more out of it if if it was at the end, maybe because then it's a nice bit of yeah. color to add some d- dimensions to the world. But mm-hmm. like it, 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 at times it does stop me in my tracks. I'm like, okay, here's the big reading portion, and then See, and the, then we're back I'm, in it. I'm the other way because if I'm reading it and someone mention something and i don't know what it is and say they put like a small star next to it like an asterisk next to it in the speech bubble and then there's a note at the bottom of the page like telling you to flip to the back to read what it is or whatever i'm going to keep flipping to the back and that's going to be more of a break to me that's going to break the flow more for me than having it inserted i guess i I guess i can see what you're saying because i i I guess it's, it comes down to um, it comes down to like how what your composition is with, with these type yeah. of things. Because for me, uh, it's I can handle being being thrown like proper um, proper nouns constantly and the blah 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 went to the blah blah blah. But like, I'm cool with that to a degree. Um, like I can just rock go with the flow because the context for a lot of this stuff i'm like oh cool there's cryo tubes or whatever like that i could easily n- not have that explained to me for like three more issues and have it just pop up in the story normally or i could easily wait 30 pages and read it at the end but it kind of does take me out when it's like okay oh cool what, what i wonder what's up with the pods or whatever and then boom two pages of these are what the pods are but like like i'm not saying that i totally dislike it i'm just saying that it can at times mm. uh, make the flow a bit more rocky, but yeah, it's not. I'm not necessarily saying I would change it, but I, I, it does feel a little jarring at times when, yeah. when that happens. Yeah, because you get um, like there's even a ramen recipe in there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, this what... all sounds very like video gamey. Like you mentioned that the art is kind of concept art from video gamey. And then you're talking about things where, like, uh, an explanation of something that's happening in world then suddenly pops up on the page, and that feels like when you get like, um, like you encounter a new yeah. object or a new tool or you know a new skill in the game, and yeah. then it pops up with a, a short description of like what you're actually doing and how to use it. Is it is that kind of what you're getting from it? Do you think that was the decision behind it? Um, I don't know because like now you've mentioned that I've actually just made the connection. Because I, I wouldn't, I didn't make that connection until you've just said it, Ray. So I mean, it's, it's just the way it sounded from the way yeah. you have just described it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't actually like make that connection or think about it that way. But actually, you know what? You're right. It kind of is laid out like a, like the breadcrumbs in a video game when you get lore dumps in video games. But it's in which more case, for me. Though, yeah. I, I can see why Leon, you you have you find that a little bit frustrating, or like it takes you out because I feel the same when I'm playing a game and then I suddenly get a lore dump when I'm supposed to be in the middle of like doing a thing that I could kind of figure out on my own. Like you were saying, you could figure out what these cryopods were yourself or just have it revealed to you throughout the rest of the story. But when it 
take some yeah. time to interrupt that, then it does break your flow. And I can see, I think that's a valid criticism. Yeah. But then you get players like me who could never be streamers because they read everything, <laughs> like everything. Like I, I, every diary entry, every, you know, I'm mm. one of those guys. Like if you're watching me play video games, then you best be comfortable. <laughs> can i ask like it's a slightly swerve question but then yeah. leon if you were reading this comic would you would you be comfortable skipping over the like the law dump text bits and then going back to them at the end of the comic like in the way that you could with a game where you could just skip past the menus and keep playing and then when you have like an extra 10 minutes spare you feel like you could go back and then reread the um like the audio log or whatever would you feel comfortable breaking the intended flow of the comic this way hell no <laughs> um, and and the thing is, I understand the purpose of of this. Um, mm. It's because this is a universe being built, and it's so rich. And I'm not sure how many issues it's meant to be, but it, it's. I, I think the reason we're getting these law dumps uh, for things as big as the whole history of this conflict, a thousand year war, to like ramen recipes, is that. I think what it is is uh, filling in and giving uh, texture to stuff that, uh, or like context to stuff. Because I think I think the book's going to be very character based, and which is why, like with X Men, is I can I can like I can forgive that. I can forgive the sort of boom. This is what the cryopods mean because I um, I can forgive it in the sense that I know that that they're telling me uh, all of this because when the character that it's related to um it get, like it just gives us the drive and, and gives us um a lot of uh, history there all in one go if mm. if if it's not the intent for it to be brought up uh, later so I, I can understand why it's done and i think it it, it i think like the actual information is like effective and like it, it's why i would just read it as it's intended and not skipping by because like in the games, like it's not a case where, like the example is not that in the game when I get the new thing I skip past the menus and stuff like that. Mm. It's more the case of like if I'm in an action scene and then I picked up something and then suddenly it was like Lost Odyssey. I had like four pages of of text <laughs> to read. That mm. would be jarring for me rather than if I'm walking around in the open world and then I find the thing. Then I do. I read it at the time. Like I do read everything in in games. I'm not a disgusting skipper of things, but I'm just saying sometimes <laughs> the you get. I I was getting a little bit of whiplash from like, oh here's here's a cool like story breadcrumb. Uh, maybe just maybe I, I, my brain has just been molded into a way where like I've watched so many mystery box uh, style shows that I just don't require instant answers for stuff. And I just mm. assume it'll be brought up in the story at some later point. So when it's yeah. suddenly like, bam, here, here is the thing. It's like, oh, so maybe that is not the thing. And instead, that's just there to give like a foundation. Mm. But you know what I end up doing? If I'm watching a show and it mentions something that I don't know, I'll go look it up and pause the show. That's disgusting. No, I, I can't, can't believe you told me that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, well, so, I'm, I'm awful for it. So it's like, say you're reading like a book or something. Yeah. I know it's different now with digital books and you can just click on it on Kindle and it will give you like a definition. 
But uh, like I generally like would wait until the end of like the chapter, the section chapter, and be like, oh, uh, what did um, blah 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 mean? Because usually I can pick it up by context. But I, I like learning new words. I'm like, mm-hmm. I understood what it meant in the context, but I, I want to know more about the word and the etymology and stuff like that. But are you saying that as you hit that word, you just stop and then pull out your phone and Google it? Yeah, because yeah, isn't the fear that like maybe if you're only 20 minutes into a 60 minute episode, you're not supposed to know what that thing is up until at least if, if it's not going to be the next episode, it'll be revealed to you like in another 30 minutes. And then you might have ruined like the enjoyment of that process for yourself in that one episode. Well, like, No, because I'm not I'm not talking about things that are clearly like embedded in the narrative of the show like that would be spoilers if i were to look them up i'm talking about things where it like they mention maybe an event or something like they'll mention something that happened in um like like watchmen for example let's go with the watchmen show because we're going to be coming back to watchmen in a couple episodes time we're going to be discussing the tv show um that'll be part three of our watchmen series that we're doing but um an example in Watchmen is I had no idea about the Tulsa race massacre. Hmm. And I started watching Watchmen and the show begins in the Tulsa race massacre. And I went, I paused it and I went and did a load of reading on the Tulsa race massacre, then started watching Watchmen again. Interesting. Cause my version of that was, I knew vaguely of the Tulsa uh, massacre, but I watched the entire episode and then read up more about it and then watched the episode again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the other way around. I can't carry on watching it if I don't understand what's happening. So mm-hmm. I like to be and like I I um other things I looked up like redfordations. Like mm-hmm. I got annoyed with the word redfordations like they kept saying it and I was like what the hell are redfordations? And I know that's a spoiler when I and I shouldn't have looked it up but I looked it up. You know, things like that. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, that, that's like a, a key one where that is something that is explained like during the episode. It, yeah. Like, like this anecdote you're telling just reminds me of like uh, in the the West Wing episode one. There's a yeah. cold open and um, it's showing us like the main characters because something's yeah. happening and each of them are being contacted. It's like Potus is trying to get in contact with you. Potus is trying to get in contact with you, and then I think it's Sam who. Uh, he's with a woman, and the woman says, "Like, who's POTUS?" And then he turns and says, "Like, it's the president of the United States." Like, and then it starts the episode, and like that basic thing is like, if you paused it on the first utterance of that, it sort of kills the punchline. I mean, of, I mean, unless you're like me and you knew what it meant already, but like, yeah. uh, like it kills the punchline of the thing, which is like two minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a terrible human being, Leon. All right. <laughs> because I understand it because it's, it's yeah. like a, a brain worm thing. And it's like, yeah, you, you need, it's a question that you've been presented and you, you, yeah. you need to answer it now. But it's, I, it's itchy it, and I need to get it out. <laughs> but like, it, 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 there's cases where like having the definition of the thing would like increase your enjoyment of the thing in the moment but then there's other things where it's like it's deliberately like part of the thing to set it up but everyone's different and the way i enjoy it is to do that i mean i I can't i can't enjoy something unless what do you do if you're in the cinema watching something on tv that you can't pause i I, i'm really really fidgety until the film ends (laughs) (laughs) 
thing is, I want to touch upon this same topic when we talk about strange adventures because, like, I will, we'll get to it when we get to it. But I've had this sense of dislocation and like the the urge to look up stuff, and I'm really like I'm actively resisting it. So I, yeah, I, I guess I just don't understand the compulsion. But like, this would be fine if we didn't make our habits so public, but we do because we make a podcast about them. So it's <laughs> it's you're fine, Greg. Do do what you want. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, like, I guess, I guess the point I'm making is I quite like the exposition dumps. I like the way Hickman mm-hmm. does that because I like the way he explains and builds his worlds. Um, and if I was watching Watchmen, and then as soon as Redfordations is like mentioned, if this was a Hickman book, the next page would be a page of prose about Redfordations, which for me <laughs> would be perfect. But like, I, I don't even want to like go into that now because we've got an episode to go into it, but. <laughs> that specific example feels like super like it's in the title but and i digress <laughs> yeah i know i know i know it's just me yeah um so the other like like there's a, there's a bit in um like the beginning of decorum the one thing i did want to mention is are we getting a history lesson at the beginning or is that something that's supposed to be happening in real time because that's what i couldn't work out and i don't know if you guys had any input on that uh, now that you bring that up, that's actually a good question because I think it was a history lesson, possibly because we later get uh, an explanation about these pyramids. Uh, mm. That uh, well, we get a half explanation about these pyramids. So I think maybe it was like uh, I think the timing of it doesn't matter that much because I don't think it's particularly a catalyst. But then. I, uh, the, the next issue could start with the people who escaped in the pyramid or whatever. So, yeah, you don't know, but yeah, I, I think it could be a history because it does set up. It leads into the explanation, and then it does sort of set up what the stakes of this mm. uh, universe are at the moment. Yeah. So that is the core uh, number one. Before oh. you end, I just want to bring up a few things. Go for it. I thought the. Um, the uses of key color, uh, where most of the panels are like black and whitish, but like the character with like the perceived yeah. power is either in red or a cool mix of purples and fusions. I thought that was uh, really awesome. It looked great. Um, I think uh, Huddleston did a great job with that. And I think that the final confrontation, because I, I wasn't waning, but I wasn't like, oh my God, look, looking forward to issue two as I was going through it. I was just like, okay, I'm sort of finding out what this world is. And it was scaring me because I was like, the amount of law and text-based world building in there <laughs> has me worried it's going to be a long series. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was getting really like worried about that, thinking like, oh, no, this is going to be 100 issues or something. And there's then, me sitting in my chair screaming, yes, 100 yeah. issues. <laughs> but, but then the thing that, that got me where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to read issue two is the confrontation with the badass assassin at the yeah. end. That like won me over, um, especially like her peculiar like idiolect focus on like honor manners and quote-unquote decorum i thought that was pretty saga vibes like saga vibes yeah and uh, her design gave me like uh lucy vibes from uh wickdiv uh so um yeah that was enough to make me think like i care what's up with her uh so I i will check out issue two yeah i will definitely be checking out issue two because i'm invested in this i love like the world building and like the world building that like hickman does with with this stuff like this is what had me like hook line and sinker for his x-men run as well 
Um, but yeah, so written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mike Huddleston, letters by Russ Wooten, design by Sasha E. Head, and that is published by Image Comics, and that is Decorum number one, and that will be available digitally right now. Um, and uh, I guess that moves us on to Strange Adventures, which Rahul kind of foreshadowed slightly just before. Um, and this is the one that's supposed to be the next because it's the next Tom King Mitch Jarrods thing and this is kind of like their follow up to uh, Mir- uh Mr Miracle. Yes. Yeah. Uh yeah so I'll uh, I'll give like the rundown of this. Um so this is strange adventures uh one I'll say in brackets 2020 because there's uh, an older run of comics anthology series in Silver Age called Strange Adventures. Uh it's written by Tom King as you mentioned uh the art is done by, and this is what blew my mind uh, before reading it. So, it, as you mentioned, it's done by Mitch Gerrards. Uh, so we've got the dream team back together. But then there's another artist, and it's Doc Shana, uh, Evan Doc Shana. And I thought, yeah, what? So are they like, are they like uh, panel to panel, like doing their own thing, uh, like building like a new art style? I was like, what? What's going on? Uh, the letter is uh, Clayton uh, Cowles, uh, editor is uh, Brittany Holzer, and the editor is Jamie S. Rich, and it's um, DC Comics, DC Black Label. And um, the basic story, or like the setup for this current run, is uh, it's like an, a reimagining of the, uh, the story of Silver Age superhero Adam Strange, uh, an archaeologist who was suddenly transported to the planet Ran due to a rogue Zeta Beam. Uh, he mar- uh, only gets there, he uh, meets um, an indigenous woman co- uh, named Alana, and they end up getting married and uh, having a kid. He fights for her father, uh, Sardath, to fend off the uh, the invading uh, Pict army. Uh, and then, like, this is all stuff that we know in the background as, uh, as it's been brought up. But um, after saving the planet, at some point he comes back to Earth, joins the Justice League and becomes a superstar. Uh, and in this particular comic, we get two concurrent storylines. Uh, one is uh, Adam uh, and Alana during the book tour uh, amidst a, a media frenzy. And the second storyline are flashbacks to the war on Ran. And that's where the, the dual artist thing comes into it. For, for the uh, day-to-day life stuff that we're getting, that's done by... Uh, uh, Jared's and all the the flashback stuff is done by uh, Doc Shana and uh, I'll just say straight off the bat I think that's really like pretty strong start but um, it did it reminds me apart from the obvious ways that it reminds you of Mr. Miracle it reminds me of Mr. Miracle in the sense that if you are coming to Mr. Miracle having no no new god stuff <laughs> as I am coming to Strange Adventures knowing very little uh, before I did any research on uh, Adam Strange. It could be dizzying as a first, uh, as a first issue because you jump between these, these two timelines and in this, like, Tom King style, um, we're, like, skipping, like, we're time skipping in ways. So we're at one thing uh, and then we're going to another thing, like, and... You have all the book tour bits uh, uh, done as uh, the, the book signing bits done as sort of 
like a, a, re- a repeated notion and I don't know. It 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 it, but it 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 was the fun dizzying in the sense that I got with the first issue of Mister Miracle. So I'm interested yeah. in uh, what you thought, Rahul. Yeah. So you've basically described my experience picking this up because when I read Mister Miracle, I had no idea who those characters were. I assumed it was uh, a thing in a vacuum, like it was a story in a vacuum, and I I was supposed to be confused going in. Because um, like one thing I want to say was this feels like really familiar territory, like the the art, the framing, the pace and the colors, like how intentional and like deliberately oblique some of the things feel like you, you hinted at, uh, like the, the blurred scratchiness of the character uh, Adam Strange on Earth, like feels like putting on a really well warm and comfortable bathrobe, um, like which is what I mean by it feels like a, a lot like Mr. Miracle and uh, the vision book that Tom King did previously. And like the thing is with Mr. Miracle, I I had the, the the question: Should I know who Scott Free is? And I didn't know whether it was me missing out on something, or whether I should have come in with prior knowledge of, like you said, the old gods or the the old DC stuff. Um, and I feel like that that question of should I feel dislocated was kind of answered in the opening pages of Mister Miracle because it starts off with like a really intentional scene. It starts off with the immediacy of his attempted suicide. And then it's immediately given like a reason to question it because you're showing these scenes of him as a kid, um, like questioning his life and then addressing us as the audience. And it makes you, it makes you feel more comfortable with the idea that you're not supposed to know what's going on. Whereas with this, I didn't feel like it gave me that same reason to feel okay with being uncomfortable with not knowing enough. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, because I think Mr. Miracle also had, like, the visual flair. It had the whole, um, like, the scratchiness, like, the worn pages, the sellotape over Dark everything. Dark is. Yeah, all of that stuff, which, um, I don't know, it gives you, gives you more of that mystery box feel where you're okay with not knowing what's going on, whereas this felt like more of a traditional narrative, although it was flipping back and forth between two different timelines. I feel like it wasn't giving me that, like, that supernatural or mystery edge which meant that it was okay to just let go and go with it and ultimately i did because i trust in in this creative team enough like they've earned their goodwill for me to think oh this is going to go somewhere and i'm not wasting my time or i'm not um i'm not made to feel stupid by not knowing what's going on but this is this is a case where like i think less than mr miracle i think it doesn't do a great job in setting up what the stakes are and who this person is and why you're supposed to care about them. Um, but again, I'm going to give it a few more issues before I like fully say whether that's, that's, you know, terrible or not. And I don't think it is. I think I'm going to, I am going to be pleased by where it goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I went into this, um, I, I had an idea already of who Adam Strange was. And, um, I heard tale that, um Mr. Terrific was in it as well. So I was like, okay, let's give this a go. And I signposted this to you guys in a um a previous episode, the, the episode I wasn't present for that you two did. Um where I made you read it out on the poll list. <laughs> and I was like, you two are gonna like this because it's uh Tom King and Mitch Gerrards. And I'm glad you both enjoyed it because I knew you would like it because it's the it's the Mr. Miracle team. Um and I love the the kind of like the dislocation in the art, like we go from Mitch Gerrard's doing the present day kind of like 
back to gritty reality stuff and then we have Evan Shana doing the Shana doing the like the fantasy sci-fi stuff where he's on this other world um and I I kind of like the dislocation and the disposition and the fact that his memories are like because Evan Doc Shana has this kind of like um this really clean comic book silver agey type style going on mm, yeah it's less where, like sponge blotted yeah. than the jared stuff yeah, yeah where mitch jared stuff it's got like this kind of like harder edge to it and it's a little more rooted in realism and everything else and that worked for me on so many levels having it switch between the two art styles like that like i completely got what it was going for like the the the, the rose tinted glasses kind of thing, you know, the mm-hmm. memories and whatever, mm-hmm. and then boom, reality, and like, um, it's just the entire narrative. Like, I love I love this thing what they're doing where they're taking uh, these Silver Age characters and kind of like scuffing them slightly, you know, like 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 kind of like um, dulling the sheen, as it were. Um, yeah, because like. Um, it, I, I think what it what it does, and what this whole series of of doing this does, is that um, it it helps or it, it makes the audience who um, may have some nostalgia, or in general society and nerd society has some nostalgia for like the the serial uh, heroes of the past and what they led into because they've if we don't care about John Carter from Mars, we care about all the stuff that ripped off John Carter from Mars over over the the decades, and uh, and so and so with like Flash Gordon and all that. And I think what it does, uh, and what the 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 intent seems to be, is um, actual dealing with what that would actually look like. And um, while that whole like. Um, uh, white savior goes and tames the savage planet type thing like mm. that uh that archetype was just this this hero thing which led and influenced so many other superheroes and other staples and people like indiana jones and stuff but when you actually zero in and think about or uh consider uh these stories and these people and what 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 it would actually look like um in real life it does give you sort of that that stark thing of like, oh, did uh, when they went over here and helped uh, do this thing or whatever, it's like, did they commit war crimes? And uh, when uh, they went over here and helped doing the thing, it's like um, it, it brings up questions of like colonialism and uh, like uh, using like technology um, to overcome. Uh, places with like uh less advanced technology and uh it, i know it brings a lot of of uh of like questions like that but also like making it quite modern in the sense of how uh you need to do press releases for this stuff and you like you need to control uh like the information flow and uh like whose truth is uh is real because Everyone yeah. has their own truth, and and then there's obviously mm. definitive objective truth, mm. and uh, oftentimes 
Uh, these are like uh, tall tales told by the victor or tall tales told by the hero. And it's like, but yeah, but what what actually happened? What 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 was what really uh, went down? Yeah, and that like very modern interrogation where everybody can kind of have access to the same, yeah, like uh, the, the same news, and then every single person gets to make their own interpretation of that, as opposed to like in the past where you know you, yeah. you look to experts to have those opinions. I mean, I say, I said Adam Strange Silver Age. Um, like i think 1950s was when the first adam strange books were doing the rounds mm. so it's kind of like that 50s sci-fi thing but it's like it, it's the i mean like I, I talked about the the sort of like the the dulling of silver age heroes but it's i mean it's something that i mean a lot, a lot of heroes have endured and we've had books written about characters i mean adam strange is no exception of the, to this because we had like a, an adam strange series that was in 2004 and things like that but like um he's stayed largely on the kind of clean side <laughs> like um and, and this this kind of like this now the silver's getting tarnished with this new story and i quite like that i like that they're kind of like bringing it to reality a little bit and and like you were saying about the whole the whole war crimes thing and everything else that people are obviously going to disagree with what he's done yeah, because like, um, yeah, I, I think what solidifies all that is that at the end of the book, there's like an interview with um, with a king at the end, and one of the questions is four questions there. One of the questions is why Adam Strange, and he replies, um, Adam Strange is one of a long line of characters like Tarzan and Flash Gordon, uh, stolid men with dimple chins who thrive in foreign lands, uh, who who stand in as a metaphor for a 19th century European dream of colonialism. Of course, colonialism was nothing like this dream, and it's that contrast that interests me, the bloody gap between myth and the reality. And I think that is like just the, the, the statement feces. Uh, yeah, the yeah. That seems yeah. like the driving like design of it as well, because like, you have the two covers every month. You've got the the two different designs and styles of the the current story and the previous story. And yeah, it seems yeah. like that was that was what they built it all around. And I'm 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 here for this 100. percent I really am. So I can't wait to get more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I am really really looking forward to it. So that was Strange Adventures. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh. A couple a couple of observations that I want to make just yeah. before we move on. Is like we do get a couple of instances of like the um, the Tom King Mitch Gerrard's nine panel layout with like gratuitous repeated uh, yeah. like repeated images in like towards the end of it where he's looking at this um, like he's sat on his bed and he's looking at this really really intriguing bloody photograph that I'm that's the one motif that's like dragging me into the next issue because I really want to know what the fuck is going on with that and then we also have like one instance where you get the sort of uh, Mr. Miracle style VHS corruption thing, you know, where like um, the tracking has gone wrong. Yeah. I feel like, I, I don't know, I mean, it might be a reference, it might just be he's enjoying the art style, whatever. Um, but like there's a there's a page where you see a reflection um, of the woman on the phone and this same bloody photograph in like the chrome of his jetpack. Jet- yeah, I love it's that. Got, yeah, mm. it's such a cool couple of uh, panels where you do get that sort of line that that spreads the image and like sheens it across yeah. the screen uh, i don't know i just i i like the little things like it's again it, it's i call it references it's probably not references it's just 
yeah further, further increased use of that same art style but i really like I mean, that because it harkens back to it don't you love that back in the 50s and 60s the jetpack was like the pinnacle of like cool yeah like and I do and love now in- it's so it's so like you look at it and you just kind of cringe a little bit when you see jetpacks now don't you it's like but also because <laughs> if you look at the two uh contrasting covers um like the main big difference between apart from the obvious like scratchy art style yeah. between the two covers and the the font is that in one it's got like blobby rounded um like cone head and in yeah. the like the bright colorful one it's got like a pointed cone head i don't there's something very like xerus retro about the like yeah flat the flat co- conical ends that I really oh no like. and his space helmet as well his fucking fishbowl space helmet <laughs> yeah 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 but yeah it's just it's such a great book and i i love the whole concept of what they're doing here like exploring this character from a different angle and bringing them forward into the modern age kicking and screaming which i quite like um so that is Strange Adventures number one, and that is published by DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Mitch Gerrards, art also by Evan Sharna, uh, Evan Doc Sharna, um, and letters by a Clayton Cowles. And uh, yeah, available now. Check it out. I encourage you to. Can't tell you when issue two is coming, but hey, give it a look. It's worth it. Um, so we are on to one that I read, which um it's something actually i wanted to recommend to you two because i think you two will thoroughly enjoy this because it seems to be in your wheelhouse like um especially leon's wheelhouse actually um and this is alienated uh and it's alienated number one and this is a uh, boom studios and um this is simon spurrier with chris wild goose uh on art and andre may on colors and jim campbell on letters um now this is like chronicle the movie you know the movie chronicle oh yeah Yeah. group of teenagers find um alien thing get powers so it's kind of like a little bit that little bit et um it's two issues in now at the moment um i've got issue one and two so i'm going to be kind of like talking about where we are so far with this thing um this is like high school drama sci-fi um so it's like three high school kids called sam struggling through high school and uh they discover this um this crash landed alien and via this extraterrestrial they are now connected and in each other's minds um and through this they seem to be discovering that a they are not so different and that everyone kind of suffers through the same kind of you know everyone like 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 your 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 preconceptions of people at high school and everything else like you would label people and stuff but then when when you actually get to see what's going on behind the curtain maybe they're not so different from you they just deal with it in a different way and it deals with all those kinds of themes um like typical high school drama and you know like being a teenager and like the idea, like if you can imagine, like when you're at high school, when you were a teenager, you were at your most guarded traditionally, right? Um, mm. And I know from experience for me, when I was a teenager, I didn't enjoy sharing things with other people. I kept myself to myself. I had my my ideas and like um, my political ideas my political leanings and things like that because obviously i was just starting to get political and things as a teenager and all of a sudden you know like it's imagine then being thrust into 
a three a constant three-way conversation in your head with two other people and they are able to to they have access to all of that that's a legit nightmare exactly yeah like when we're teenagers and we're traditionally at our most guard and then all of a sudden we're connected to two other kids that we don't even know that well we just go to the same school and uh, it's like starts off with this new kid who's also a streamer and he's like a political streamer. He does all these like wake up sheeple videos and stuff. Um, and he. Uh, there's him and then there's this other kid who just um, he seems to be quite popular, like everyone. He, he just wants to be loved by everyone. He wants to be everybody's friend. And then um, we've also got. Uh, the third character who is um, she's she's really really guarded like won't speak to anybody kind of treats school like a job type thing she doesn't want to be particularly be friends with anybody or anything or get to know anybody she just wants to keep herself to herself Um, and we're kind of like we start off like in the beginning of com- the beginning of number one, we start off with these three separate threads on three separate levels on the page that when they meet this, when they discover this creature like in the woods on their way to school, they all kind of fuse into one. Um, and it's kind of like happenstance, like how they meet and how they discover this thing. Um, and how all this works, like in the woods. And how they deal with that going forward and, and what they do with this newfound, uh, this newfound power, which, you know, typical things that selfish teenagers might do, I guess is the way I'm going to lampshade what happens in issue two. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a really cool ride and it has some great kind of commentary on what it's actually like to be a teenager, I suppose today, um and the artwork's fantastic it's like this beautiful kind of like uh cartoon styling um like i guess that works for the fact that the creature feeds on the psyche and emotions of others and it's not and you can actually see in people's faces these emotions and things like that very well um and this creature appears to be an infant but he's also incredibly dangerous but he also likes potato chips uh (laughs) So it's just, yeah, it's just like this beautiful, um, like cartoon high school drama thing, which I'm here for all day. And I think is right up your alley, Leon. Okay. I'll check it out. This group of high school kids. And it's like I said, it's got heavy Chronicle and ET vibes. It's like ET via Chronicle. Um, and obviously, like all the growing pains of being at high school and everything else, and the the uh, the, the politics as well, like with you know, like the the popular kids and everything else and all that stuff, mm. it's it's all there. Um, and it's a cool little story, and it's a nice slice of kind of like uh, like sci-fi slice of life thing, gets you out of whatever's going on at the moment, like a bit of escapism. It's good for that. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I figured you guys would love it. Um, and that is Simon Spurrier of, uh, John Constantine Hellblazer, um, who there's a page going around actually recently from, uh, Hellblazer, uh, John Constantine, where he praises the NHS. Um, I think, um, 
because uh, it's like one of the a number of things that I linked you guys to earlier today. Because mm. like uh, Pete behind the curtain on the what's on the Ace Comicals WhatsApp thread that we have as hosts, I tend to just dump stuff. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, there was an article talking about this page in John Constantine. So John Constantine praising the NHS, which uh, we need a lot. We need them right now, and uh, yeah, they deserve every any praise they get massively. Um, so yeah, that is uh, alienated, and uh, you can find the first two issues now on Comicsology, and that is for Boom. Um, which uh, I guess brings me on to my next one that I read on my own, which was the one that I was really, really excited about, which was X Ray Robot. Uh, now the reason reason I'm massively excited about this is because it's like Alred, so it's it's the Alreds and Rally. yeah, there's like. This is this is just like my my total thing, yeah. Um, so this is the Al Reds at their best. It's like these guys are like Michael Alred and Laura Alred are one of what I believe comics greatest teams, uh, greatest artistic teams, and I will buy anything with their names on it because I just cannot get enough. I mean, you've heard me like pretty much anything Alred I talk about on this cast. I just cannot get enough of their stuff. Um, and uh, this is X-Ray Robot, so I'm just going to read you the blurb from the Dark Horse site. So Max is a family man seeking a more interesting life while conducting a new experiment at work. The fabric of his reality is torn before his eyes and a robotic figure appears claiming to be his 277 year old self. The robot is able to x-ray multiple dimensions and battles an elistic entity from another dimension who wants to take all life to its pre-Big Bang status. Max and the robot embark on an interdimensional road trip through past and future to take down the Nihilist and save the universe. So, yeah, I am like 100% invested straight away. Like, you don't need to tell me any more than that, and I'm already on board. And let me tell you, it's, it's like, wow. It's like psychedelic old school pulp. It's, it has this real classic sixties sci-fi feel like through the story, but like in the modern day. So they've, they've like, they've managed to apply this like sixties sci-fi pulp story feel to a modern day setting. And it's the kind of story that you might find in a, um, a science fiction uh, anthology comic from back when, like the old horror books and shit from the fifties. Um, and it's got that kind of, it's got that kind of feeling about it. And it feels like this classic old school pulp in the way it's written, in the way the characters talk, in the way it looks, because like the way Mike Alred draws and the way Laura Alred applies color to that, it has this incredibly, um, incredible reverence and incredible like uh mirror image of like the, the kind of like it's it's got this like real silver age thing going on um and it just feels so like like there's so much reverence there for what came before for the silver age and that's what i love about love about the all reds work like you can even see this in their silver surfer run um, it just has like such an incredible like 
it's almost like he's using this to celebrate the silver age of comics, like kind of thing. And it's just like, that's what I get from his work. It has that kind of like that feel to it. And it's just, it's just something you can just like, you can just read. And it's like a slice of that kind of like that old school sixties, uh, sci-fi that you just sometimes want and need because it's just kind of so out there. But is it like that that not psychedelic but that that whole like look to the sky anything's possible type type uh type of like uh, serial sci-fi yeah yeah these serial sci-fis where you get a lab and then like they're doing something in the lab and then like they they stumble across an alternate dimension maybe like an old fantastic four book where mm. Reed Richards is like, look, I've just found a window to 12 other dimensions by splitting the positrons with the, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. It's, or like yeah. the um, Brad Bird's Iron Giant adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, I love it as a celebration and not to classic sci-fi books. It's great. Um, the art in here is absolutely fantastic um it, they they there's like this this amazing double page spread it's just this whole like um psychedelic uh cartoon style with like i've mentioned before like a real reverence for like silver age with like the the way he he does his character designs and everything else it's got this real kind of like it's 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 real comics comics it's like the most comics a comic can get right um, and there's this double age spread, this double page spread that's just like absolutely like I said double age because we're talking about time travel, but yeah, this double page spread where it's just like colors just like flowing over both pages, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It really is absolutely gorgeous. Like the the classic cartoon spirit that this comic embodies, that all of the All Reds comic and embo- comics embody, is great. And do you know what? This is just like one more reason for me to go and buy that Bowie book that I've not bought yet, because um, <laughs> Mike and Laura Allred did a uh, a David Bowie um, like and uh, what do you call it? Um, biography? biography type, yeah, biography type comic, a David Bowie graphic novel, which I really need to pick up and read because damn you know um and there's like there's some really cool panels in here where they like represent the teleportation and dimensional travel where things get like um fuzzy and there's like things with extra outlines and stuff and there's just some there's there's even some awesome 3d art at the back actually there's some like radical to the last page anaglyph 3d like at the back where they've basically rendered um the cover of the the um i'll tell you actually because there's uh there's a series of um of covers for this book actually that are um that gonna i think i think it's gonna be the second i think book number two is i think each one gets its own uh like music or rock orientated variant and issue one has a variant cover that is a sort of homage to madness's one step beyond so I got the variant and the standard cover. And at the back, the anaglyph 3D is um, an anaglyph 3D of the, um, the, the, the the two covers, like the, the normal cover and the variant. So if you've got your anaglyph 3D glasses, check that out. Because that's pretty sweet. And I'm, look- I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to more of this because I, I love 
I love this kind of stuff. Like this is like 100% my wheelhouse. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much like everything that I can just, you know, just the, the, just the absolute fun that oozes from this work and just everything that I love about comics is embodied in this book and pretty much everything Michael Allred does. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what I wanted to say about that. And that is X-Ray Robot published by Dark Horse, written by Michael Allred, art by Michael Allred, colors by Laura Allred and lettering by Nate, uh, Nate Piercos of Blambot. So yeah, I mean, has that convinced either of you two to pick that up at all? Yeah, that sounds like a trip. I want it. It is. It's a total trip. Complete yeah, trip. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. So this last one, Ray, this is something you brought to my attention. Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Beneath the Dead Oak Tree. Uh, this is a comic that came out in 2018, I believe. Uh, it's published by Shortbox. Um, and they're basically, I found this through a tweet, or in fact, this has been on my radar for a while. Uh, I just hadn't got around to buying it in store because, uh, Shortbox, who I really like, I've, um, you know, I've read a couple of things by them, but they don't release their stuff digitally that you have to, you know, buy them either from their web store or go into a shop and buy it. Um, beneath the dead oak tree had been on my radar for a while. Uh, but previously I've uh, reviewed some books published by Shortbox in the past. I reviewed Don't Go Without Me quite recently in issue number 82. Um, I reviewed Homunculus in issue number 67. Uh, so this latest one, Beneath the Dead Oak Tree, they actually released it for free um, online a couple of days ago. And they'll be releasing uh, a bunch of their published works over the next few weeks, apparently, um, as uh, as we were talking about earlier in, uh, you know, just as a thing that they can do um, to give, you know, as they put it, to ease the yeah. tough time that everyone's going through a little. And I think that's that's really cool. It uh, is. And it gave me a reason to actually read this book that I'd been wanting to read for a while. And it's, um, it's, um, it's free or name your price, isn't it? You can... Indeed, yeah. yeah so I, yeah. I think I dropped like a fiver for it or something, yeah. um, which and now in hindsight I feel a bit guilty about because I, I, in fact, what I'm going to do is when I'm able to, I'm going to go out and actually buy this on physical because I think I like mm. it just that much. Uh, yeah. I think I talked about how how lovely the uh, like the physical version of Don't Go Without Me is, and I've got that on my shelf, and I think this would be a great accompaniment to that. Um, one thing I also noticed on Shortbox's website, uh, sorry, on on their Twitter is they said they are still doing their web orders. Um, they're still fulfilling those uh, those purchases. So if you do actually want to read this or you see that you, uh, you know, you give it a go for pay what you want and you realize you want it, they are still sending out their physical products. So I'd urge you to go and support them. Uh, but this one, Beneath the Dead Oak Tree, is by Emily Carroll. Um, and she's best known for her collection of gothic horror stories in a book titled Through the Woods, which came out in 2015. And from the cover of this book, like I'd seen it on shelves a lot and I never actually took the time to flick through because I don't always like to do that when I'm in a store. I don't really want to go in and like flick through a book that's so short because I don't want to ruin what it is for myself. But based on the cover, I was expecting a sort of romantic period fantasy. Think like Pride and Prejudice by the way of Twin Peaks because there's this like gorgeous, elegant, weeping fox on a slightly off-angled patterned floor. And instead, what we get is like a claustrophobic gothic poem about the savagery of wolves. And it's in, it's amazing. I, um, so let me read out the blurb from uh, the Shortbox website. So it says, 
Murder, decadence, cowardice, guilt, and aristocratic foxes in wigs all combined in this gorgeously poignant poem-slash-folk song from Emily Carroll about the futility and heartbreak one can run into when dealing with vengeance. And I think that's a really good summary. Um, the things that I... Because, again, it's quite a short book, and I don't want to... I don't know if you guys want to discuss the reveals that happen in this, but I'm going to avoid that right yeah. now at the start. Yeah. Um, but the thing I love about it is it's quite playful with its use of comic conventions there's like a really great sequence where uh you know it uses the traditional nine panel layout um for like you know pacing and tension and and then it's corrupted in a really shocking way and like it weirdly reminded me of musical theater because uh there's scenes where um because i to step back a bit it's it is essentially a poem it's poetry in the sense of not just the pacing of the words uh, but also like the right words in the right order, but also the right words in the right arrangement and placement, and then also working in concert or even held aloft, bolstered by the comic medium. And like it reminded me of musical theatre a bit because she's narrating, the character is narrating in verse, but then it overlaps and synchronizes with dialogue in the scene that she's uh, she's describing. And it all comes to this really poignant and shocking and like, sad but beautiful uh like crescendo and i don't know this is this is the kind of thing that i'm seeking a lot when i talk about how i don't want my comics to be littered with words i think what i actually want is this i think i want like visual poetry where everything is working in tandem there's a pacing not just to the words but there's a pacing to the art and there's a pacing to the panels that are arranged on the page and this just really really worked for me um how did you guys feel about it I was really into the design of this book. Mm. Like I, I love that there are like the lack of panels, like er- everything is just sort of like laid out in one page in one moment. Yeah. Mm. And you've got moments overlapping moments and things like that. Like there's a scene where there's uh, two of the characters dancing. Um, it's like page four, I think. And that's probably my favorite page. Mm. Um, because you've got somebody carry, you've got them dancing, you've got somebody carrying drinks, and you've just got like focusing in on different parts of that moment, but you've got it all laid out over one page, which I thought was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I, I, the overall design of the characters and the way it's all sort of like put together as well, like the, um, the composition of it with like everything on black. Mm and the the way the characters themselves are um yeah it's just everything about it is just like absolutely gorgeous like the the lines the the sleekness of it how everything seems to be like um these kind of beautiful flowing shapes and things like that. It's just all absolutely amazing. And, and like the fact that the, the whole thing it, it's basically the whole thing is like a poem or a folk song, which I think is, you know, cause I was reading it and, and I thought that was absolutely great. And I'd want to see, I'd actually, this is the kind of thing where I'd want to hear it performed actually. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder how, they, I mean, that I feel like they could do it, but I'd want to see, it would take a, like a creative mind to do it justice. I think mm. I'd be so intrigued to see how that could work. Yeah. I mean, even if, even if it was just somebody in costume reading it, 
Hmm. Like instead, I, I, when I say performed, I don't mean I, I want like a stage show, but hmm. I would like to hear the the poem performed because I think it would be great, and I like seeing it performed on the pages of a comic. Because hmm. there's there's like in great, in the so. manner of poetry, like there is a cadence to the words, and then there's also a cadence to the visuals. Yeah. And then a cadence to the plot as well, because like it goes yeah. from this, uh, like this uh, languid, elegant dance to this frantic, uh, like repeated staccato sort of voice, and mm. then it it sort of like boils its way down, and then you see what the ultimate, the ultimate action of everything this 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 person has gone through comes yeah. to, and yeah, that that really worked for me. Uh, Leon, how did you feel about it? Well, yes, yeah, like. Um... On episode 69, um, I spoke about Emily Carroll's When I Arrived at the Castle, her 2019 book. Yes, yeah. And um, this definitely feels like I can see all the um, that the progression. Like It definitely reads like a uh, precursor to that book uh, and features a lot of the hallmarks, like the... Um, like her classic, uh, like, red, white and black palette. Uh, and uh, on that episode, I spoke a lot about, like, uh, as Greg mentioned here, the black pages and the color on that, and how I really uh, love that that art style, and, and think that it, it works well to um, not just for uh, theming, but also for framing. Um, and uh, as well with when I arrived at the castle, um, it had the poetic dialogue, and um, without going into any story specifics as as Rahul said it's it's quite a short book and uh, I think it's best enjoyed just uh, like diving in but uh, it features like the same uh, style of like danger and um uh sort of uh flipping of what your expectations are um and like rewarding on a second read um a- aspects of when I write at the castle so hmm. it, it, uh, approaching it from that vantage point it was um it was quite it was quite a fun read because it, it was it, it it led me to see like the decisions and how uh carol either like evolved or um progressed certain uh, theming from this book to the next but also how the like how the design differences really work towards each title whereas in when i write at the castle maintains for the whole book the uh uh white and red on black uh look as you fall deeper and deeper into this odyssey with these two uh unnamed characters and with this book there's way more color but it's like um like pastel uh like layerings of colors on 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 top of colors and you have like uh, as i mentioned before this uh these sequences um in a party and everyone's uh like uh, all dressed up and the the way how all of that stuff is is layered on the way we um like progress in the story from panel to panel just the smart things uh with like uh one of them is like a character running up some stairs and that's used mm. as like uh, a dividing point 
uh, between like the two sort of visual palettes of the of the book, which uh, mm. I love st- stuff like that. I really liked, but I also liked how the like pastel scenes um, are like brighter, but they um, I think they're really effective in that modern sense of isolation where you're uh, you're surrounded by people and we're surrounded mm. by communication, but it, 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 it's still one of the most isolating and alienating times and you can be on your own in a crowd yeah yeah it's really interesting you bring that up because uh on my first read i found that to be quite romantic i thought like they're highlighting these two characters who are you know uh, having this romantic meeting together and everyone else has faded into the background and then on a second read i read it the way you just expressed where it like it feels lonely and isolated and they're the only two people or like they're alone in this uh like a sea of crowd the sea of faces now you said no reveals, Ray. Right. But that would mean that I can't talk about my favourite thing about this book. <laughs> I mean, well, you, we can, could... you can demark it now. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be a little bit of a reveal, I guess. Um, so if you want to stop listening now, um, because obviously you know you need to read this book, and this is something you need to experience yourself. Otherwise, it loses its value. Um, but. What I love about this book is the way that elegance gives way to savagery Mm. and it just flips on a dime. And um, like the way the character design changes as well between the points where they're more human in their elegance, Mm -hmm. but then when things turn savage, they become animals in humans' clothing as it were mm. like they get less anthropomorphized as as and the design kind of like flips and becomes way more savage and then you get like this this amazing page like in the middle of the whole thing which is just like the pure animalistic savagery of the fox and which, and, and and yeah <laughs> yeah and everything and everything kind of stops and stutters like a stop record like leon just mentioning there and and, yeah. and 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 yeah like it's that shocking and that um yeah and she's kind uh, of frozen in witness freezes of this and thing. stops stops time itself mm. and there's it's like laid over panels and it kind of like because you've got a bit you've got like the panels in the background because you go from the nine panels and then uh on the next page um there's trees but there's also panels and it's like this whole thing is just kind of like it's not just it's not just breaking what's going on in the book it's not just the breaking of the elegance and whatever of the previous pages and the romance or whatever and just the giving way to savagery it's the breaking of the nine panels as well because this is this is going on Mm. over the top of the nine panels and it's like it just completely just like gets like the the comic just completely deconstructs at this savagery and this savagery is almost like the end of the book but then it starts again after this yeah and then like immediately after the the pages you're talking about like you have is it does a really really effective use of like expressing either like ptsd or just like there's there's a time skip where you finally get a look at her like holding herself against this tree um tree branch weeping witnessing what the fox is doing to this other lover and then it flashes to the next page where it's all bright and colorful again and she's dressed again in uh in, like in another outfit in a 
like it must be either the same party or days later or weeks later or whatever you know you have no idea but it gives you an idea of the the things that she must have gone through in the interim because it doesn't show you her running away and her coming to terms with what she's just seen and then making a decision to go back and do something about it because that's that's the theme of vengeance that we we end up in yeah. is yeah. that she makes a conscious choice to uh follow through on his pursuit of her um and then ultimately turn it around on him and like enact that same violence upon him that he's been enacting on other women but like just the the way that those two pages contrast each other but they have very similar sort of like uh layouts where it's her in the middle of the page looking to the right and like witnessing and like one page says look as a stark statement and the other one the next one says see with a question mark and, like there's 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 a poetry in the visuals as well that i re- that i don't know there's like an unwritten holistic thing there that i don't know it sort of transcends that's that's what poetry is to me where it's like outside of what i can interpret and i don't want to like dive too deep into it because like the mood that it gives me is is perfect mm. like yeah because like there's there's like um a visual poetry in the sense of even how the um the word blocks are done mm. where uh i've only read this the once but I think like it'll be cool in the second read because I I remember at the beginning the word blocks are coloured as the characters are and mm-hmm. uh, the way it's being spoken it feels like it's coming from what we, we later find out to be like the predator character mm-hmm. but actually thinking about the words and uh, the the pronouns uh, like used there it's actually coming from our lead character, this uh, this female fox, and so like it, it, it it's like smart in how like mm. even then it's sort of flipping uh, the expectation, but you just don't you just you know you don't realize yet. But I, I thought that was um, like really like uh, well done and and quite deaf. And I um, like the whole like it, like there's a there's a lot of this. Uh, like I said before, that has uh, thematic connections with when I arrived at the castle, and I I do love the sort of flipped, almost uh, revelatory uh, thing. Because as as you said, Greg's like they're no, uh, they become uh, uh, more like feral, like and beast, like yeah, yeah, and, and like the the thing I get from that is like true form, as in like this isn't a transformation to something uh, I've never been before. This is what I should be. And I, instead I'm, yeah. I'm buttoned up in, in dresses and mm. uh, uh, different uh, like outfits, but really I, I am this. Uh, mm. And um, I, I do love how uh, with that, like it has this really like dark tinge to it. That kind of reminds me of things like Phantom Fred or where yeah. it's like, um, there's a line where it's like uh, he chose everyone but me type thing, and it's, it's it's this weird sort of dark sort of relationship with a vampire type thing where it's like yeah. um, I want I I want you to sire me and turn me into a vampire type thing. It's like why not me? Why not me? Blah blah. Like it has this like dark flipped edge to it that I just think is so like seductive in reading it. Mm. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. Does anybody have any further thoughts to share? 
No, I, I would just say it's available for like quote unquote free right now. So definitely check that out. I, yeah, it's uh, it. yeah, it, it's free or, or pay what you uh, pay what you feel. Um, and that is uh, beneath the dead oak tree, and that is published by Shortbox, and that is created by Emily Carroll. And uh, I guess that brings us to a close. Um, there will be no pull, but uh, there's no there's no uh, pull list this week, and that is because. Um, I mean, everything's in flux at the moment, isn't it? Like we mentioned at the start of the uh, at the start of the this episode, but um, there are there is still a whole multiverse of stuff you can get lost in and enjoy. There are classic story arcs in TPBs, collections, and omnibuses, and there's a lot available digitally. So get out there and read comics, and you know what? Tell us what's new to you. Like, because because this is like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a brand new comic, does it? I mean, it could be something that you've just recently discovered or stumbled upon. Um, and you could be reading that because, you know, you could be reading that now at home. Um, and I I, I want to know kind of what's new to you. So why don't you get in touch with us here at Ace Comicals via the Twitter or um, even like the Facebook or whatever. We're open for conversation always uh through social media get in touch with us and tell us what's new to you and tell us what you're reading um the other thing that i wanted to say as well is if you're missing that weekly kind of sense of camaraderie and that conversation you get at your lcs because you're not able to go to your lcs at the moment uh why not hop on twitter on wednesday and um we're open for business for chat and uh i'm i'm always ready to talk comics so you can get in touch with me at bato at b-a-t-t-o-u or at uh, through the ace comicals twitter account and uh, we'll talk comics uh yeah so that wraps us up that's been episode number 84 of ace comicals uh you can find it as at www.acecomicals.com uh it's the hub for everything we do we are available pretty much everywhere a podcast is available. Um, we have some new artwork at the moment. The eagle-eyed of you may already have spotted that. Um, over the coming days, you'll see the cover art update on um, some of the older episodes and things like that as we're going through. I'm rolling through updating it all bit by bit. Uh, we've got a new banner as well. Uh, this is all stuff that I designed and drew. Spring cleaning. Yeah, <laughs> spring cleaning. It's... um. I've gone for that MTV. This is what Leon said on Friday, actually, when I showed him. But I've gone for that MTV liquid television thing. Uh, yeah, of like, I, I adore it, by the way, Greg. I think yeah, it's great. yeah. <laughs> the bright neon palette and the just you know, uh, like the 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 radical skaterness of it all, kind of thing. Skater thrasher type thing, which is who I am anyway. So yeah, that looks um, great. Yeah, it's yeah, all testicles so, and eyeballs. Yeah, so, I mean, like, yeah, the eagle-eyed of you may have already spotted it because that went up over the weekend, but um, obviously, you know, check it out. We've got some new art. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. Um, we are available on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Castro, Overcast, PocketCast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, XP Aladocious. Uh Ray, where can we find you? You can find me self-isolating on Twitter, at Monke, so that's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And just want to say, everybody, please stay safe out there. And even though we're all physically distant, we can still be socially close on Twitter and Discord and email and all the things that Greg yeah. just said. This is, yeah, this is what I'm saying, like the magic of social media. So, you know, get in touch with us and have that Wednesday conversation about comics. Mm. Like, 
I'm here to talk to you. I will I will stand on the other side of the counter and pretend I'm selling you comics <laughs> so that we can have that conversation. And I'm, I'm here for that all day, every day. So, yeah. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Leon Evra. And, yeah, e- echoing what these guys said, um, uh, if you can, stay at home, stay stay away from people, embrace your, your inner introvert. And uh, shout out to all the people, whether it be healthcare workers, people working in uh, supermarkets, uh, people in the factories, uh, people on the farms, people who are sanitizing and cleaning places, people who are transporting people to work, like everyone out there who is still going to work, still keeping the country running. Mm-hmm. Despite all this, um, just a shout out, like we're, we're all grateful. And yeah. uh, hopefully shout out to- this isn't... this this doesn't continue forever mm-hmm. shout out to all the key workers and shout out to my brothers and sisters in the energy industry <laughs> <laughs> keeping the lights on and the gas flowing yeah so yeah that's my day job so um yeah uh stay safe wash your hands and that is ace comicals over and out